Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live. There's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Sammy. Donnie. <laughs> How are you there across the country in beautiful Palm Springs, whereas I'm in North Carolina? I'm, uh, I'm doing all right. I'm bored as fuck, Don. <laughs> bored? This- Bored as fuck. Not just bored, but bored as fuck. Is it, are you like waking up and going, oh, another day, just like <laughs> the other day? I am. It's kind of like that That song, Is That All There Is? Is That All There Is? You, um, it's like, it, it really is that, that thing of um, the difficulty of plugging into a community when you can't plug into a community physically is... is um, it is isolating. And I was talking with my sponsor about this. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I go to his home group, which is my home group, um, the, uh, the Living Sober group in Palm Springs at noon on Mondays. And it's a fantastic group of people. Um, generally about 20 people or so on screen. They have the most wonderful relationships. The, the chat before the meeting starts is just you can tell these people know each other, they care about each other, and, yeah. and, and it's fantastic. Well, it's very difficult for me being new to in. plug into that. And it's not because of clicks or it's because it's difficult in a Zoom environment when I've got this entire gallery of people instead of me being able to carry on a conversation with one or two people. And even when people, uh, when, I, when I come in and people are like, hey, Sam, I don't even know who it is because the little yellow box on Zoom can't keep up with all the voices changing and who's yes. speaking. So I don't know who's talking to me. It's, it's kind just of, kind of difficult. It is kind of a problem with Zoom is like a wonderful tool for AA meetings. But one thing that it can't capture is the feeling that you get before and after the meeting where you're talking in small groups and really yeah. connecting with each other. And before and after the meeting, it's still however many people are there all talking at once and only one at a time. So you're still talking to 30 people. I, you know, I do yeah. miss that aspect. I, I'm the, you know, I love meetings because, uh, you know, first of all, meetings are there so that the newcomers can find us. That's, that's the primary thing. But also, um, that's where we share our experience, strength, and hope and, uh, and help each other uh, and stay connected and plugged in. But I don't get to know people in meetings. I get to know them a little bit. A little bit. A you little keep bit. going. I've been, but, you know, I've been doing shivering denizens now for uh, which you can get to via nc23.org. It's the 530 meeting Monday through Friday. And going to that regularly has, there are people there that I've only met through that online meeting. And I've okay. become friends with them. All right. Well, so what I'm hearing you say is that I just need to do more. Okay. My, my, my program sucks and, and I'm, I'm going to get drunk if I don't change my ways. Well, I, I woke up uh, yesterday and it was, I had that feeling, you know, one of the things I said when uh, I got sober was, okay, I'm going to go to AA and I'm going to do this thing. 
because uh, I can't drink anymore. So I'm not going to drink. It's going to be one long gray day. And you know, it's raining outside right now. And it kind of is. And it kind of feels like that <laughs> being not being able to meet in groups and everything like it's one continuous long gray day. But yeah, well, I'm I'm glad for some change here because it is. Oh, wow. Look, Don, it's a clear blue sky, not a cloud in it. And it is currently 88 degrees with low humidity here in Palm Springs. And what is freaking awesome is that now we're at the temperatures where the people who live here will actually go out and socialize. So being able to go and have a cup of coffee with someone outside of the meeting and, nice. and I mean, outside of the coffee shop, but yes. and all that kind of stuff is is becoming available now and nice. that's where i get to to become part of the community so blue hey what do you know shining solution. <laughs> nothing but blue skies do i see Whoa. so uh we have a guest <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm getting, I'm just getting warmed up. Andrew, please jump in. Welcome. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure is all mine. I'm glad you came, Andrew. Andrew, uh, introduce yourself, please. Uh, well, let's see. What do you want to know about me? My name is Andrew. Um, I, I, Hi, uh, that's all we needed. Okay. Hi, Andrew. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, where are you located? Uh, so I am in San Francisco, California, where mm -hmm. it is a beautiful blue skies as well. <clears throat> blue skies <laughs> shining above. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got blue skies. When did you get sober? I got sober um, this last time, October oh. 13th, 2009 is my sobriety date. Okay, this last time. What was the last time? Because what's really interesting, I, I think um, everyone has to find some place where they kind of break and go, I can't do this. Tell me what to do. And they come to AA and they get sober, amazingly. But that doesn't happen until they break. So what was going on inside of you at that last moment when you said that, okay. Oh, uh, no, I relapse is a big part of my story. You know, I think the two years prior, I think I got a year together and then it's like skipping a stone. I think it's like, you know, the, the, the further it skips, the, the less distance there is between the skips until it kind of goes under. And I think that's kind of what happened to me. Um, <laughs> so I, I'd been in program. My relapses were always were short lived. I'd only be out for a couple of days. Um, and this last round, it just, it was by far the worst than what brought me into the rooms initially. Um, you know, I, I couldn't stop. Meth is my, is my big Achilles heel. It's my, and that, you know, I guess I'm fortunate that meth was my problem because I, if I was just alcohol, I probably still, I'd either be still out there or it'd been a little longer, more drawn out and painful. You know, meth is pretty quick and, and, and painful. Uh, and I just couldn't stop. You know, I started a new job. Um, you know, I just finished grad school and uh, I was working actually at a, a mental health drug rehab facility, you know. <laughs> nice. Well, physician you know. healed thyself. Your people. Yeah. 
But uh, no, it was funny. I, even just the, the insanity of it all. I remember driving home from work and you know, the sun's setting. I'm here on the West Coast. And the sky is all this beautiful pastels and I'm driving along and it's just thinking to myself, you know, I, and I'm telling myself, there's this voice in my head saying, you know, it's like, you know, I, I think you got it this time. I, I think you can do it. And I always imagine sort of like in my head, there's two rooms. There's a back room that has a two-way mirror. And on the inside of the room, there's no doorknob. So you can't get out. So, you know, sober saying me is in the back room. I can see what's happening out there. And the crazy guys at all the maneuvers, he's kind of, you know, wheeling and dealing it all. And I thought to myself, I know that's not true. I, I know there's no way I can smoke meth like a gentleman. Not possible. Um, and it's tricky, you know, and it's, 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 it's pretty crafty. And the first couple of times I was able to manage it. And then it went downhill pretty quickly. I, I could not stop. Just couldn't stop. So did you go to NA or AA or what, what programs? Well, I first came to the rooms, you know, I didn't really identify as an alcoholic and CNA hadn't really taken hold yet. That's um, the country were, music awards, right? What yes. is CMA? Crystal meth anonymous. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> These you know, acronyms. acronyms <laughs> and I did go to a couple of NA meetings. I didn't, it didn't click for me there. Um, after a while, the, you know, the, the meth, crystal meth anonymous meetings, those were too triggering for me because if people were high and vibrating, that was just a trigger. And ultimately, I ended up in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, mm -hmm. because it was more convenient, truth be told. You mm -hmm. know, it had mm -hmm. to fit into my schedule. I didn't fit into its schedule in the beginning. But over time, I mean, I just, yeah, I just, I, you know, suggestions, like, that means I have choice. You know, so you give me lots of suggestions. It's like, well, so I don't have to do things is what I'm hearing. <laughs> what I have learned from the program is that the suggestion is that you follow all the suggestions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that cliche of the, uh, we suggest you uh, put on a parachute before you jump out of the plane. Right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of a critical suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to note real quick, um, one of those things too about uh, CMA is that uh, Crystal Meth Anonymous is a fellowship that uses the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It uses AA's big book. Uh, it uses, it does have rewritten steps that specifically address Crystal Meth, uh, uh, but it is the 12 steps. Uh, and uh, while it is a fellowship that is um, 20 some years old, it's uh, getting in the late twenties, isn't it? It's uh, it is a fellowship that uses the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I have found that CMA uh, is um, in places partic in particular where CMA meetings are not uh, available in mass. Um, AA has to be part of someone's program if they're in, mm -hmm. also in CMA. Well, it surrenders the same. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, step one, I don't care what program you're in. It's, you know, it's admitting you're powerless. And it was truly, I mean, I, and I would tell friends because I was really open. It's like, I can't stop. And I tried everything to, and I just like, I could not stop. It was by far the worst. And I had so much more to lose, you know, having just finished grad school and only just starting a job. Like I had no money. I just got some health care. I thought if I lose my job, you know, it's just like I have no health care. Um, it's the closest I probably come to losing everything and being on the street if it continued. So how, when did you first identify that you had a problem and sought help? But, you know, you relapsed a few times. So when did this start? That would probably percolating? be 
2007. Yeah, probably spring of 2007. I, uh, I started grad school and I was going to stop before summer school for my prereqs and that didn't happen. And, you know, that was going to stop, you know, before the first semester started and that didn't happen. And then, you know, I was going to stop at the holidays, you know, in between uh -huh. semesters and that didn't happen. And I remember telling my doctor and he was just like, he's like, you know, he's Andrew, like, you always have an excuse. Mm. And, you know, it was one of those things. And I told others, I was like, that really stung. And it, it was like, yeah, you're, you're right. I, I didn't see it, but yeah, I always had a reason, you know, but the fact is, it's like, uh, you know, an alcoholic, you know, an addicted alcoholic. It's just, I couldn't stop. And, you know, I always found a reason to nap. That, I like that. The, it is the setting of a boundary and then walking right across that boundary again and again and again, the failure at that, that broke me. Cause it's like, okay, I can control this cause I need to control it mm -hmm. and I need to control it because I don't want to have to quit. <laughs> I had, I had heard of Alcoholics Anonymous and I did not want to do that because I knew that meant not drinking anymore. And so I was determined to control it. So I, I did control for four years before I quit. <laughs> I've and I've failed at control for four years. <laughs> well, I've, I've also heard that uh, reference, something along the lines of we continue to lower our standards to meet our situation. Yeah. <laughs> change the rules. If the rules won't work, change the rules. That's it. I mean, that's exactly what I did as well. And, and, you know, I mean, and, and I was also in that, that, that thing where, for me, it was alcohol, uh, and alcohol was the only thing that made life tolerable. It was like, if, if I don't have this, then what's the point, even though it was destroying my life? Anything like that going on for you, Andrew? Oh, it was the insanity of it all. It's, you know, I, I, I guess there's one point in my life where I think ego actually was helpful. You know, I, I looked around, I thought, you know, I, I didn't come from money or anything like that. I thought I, I worked really hard, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'll be 57 later this year. So I started late. I came really late into sort of the, you know, addiction game. And I looked around and thought, God, <laughs> if I lose everything, he's laughing. <laughs> yeah, the addiction game. Woohoo! Everybody wins. Yeah, you spin the wheel. <laughs> What's its uh, death, you know, institutions? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Let me see. Is it going to be death institutions or insanity? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I looked at myself. I, I, and even like the therapist I had at the time, he was just like, he was, well, maybe you need to lose everything, you know, for this to kind of really sort of sink in. I'm like, hell no. I, I don't need to be homeless. Like, I, I get this. I see where this is going. You know, I need to, I need to do something about this. So doc, did you get into therapy to try to get a, to figure out what was going on? No, I was in therapy before and, uh, no, I would never go to therapy high, but of course on the way back, you know, my buddy who was also my dealer just happened to be on the way home. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> oh my God. That was me too. I, I, now I was forced into it by my uh, employer's uh, employee assistance uh, program. 
And so I had to go to this therapist and, and, you know, the first go around, uh, being the wonderful alcoholic that, and, and wonderfully manipulative person that I am, I convinced them to let me go to my therapist. Uh, and, uh, and so I would, um, you know, sit down and talk with him and then go, uh, pick up a bottle of vodka on the way home. Uh, it was totally that experience. <laughs> We're so unique. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Permanently unique. <laughs> Andrew, so you came into to AA the last time you surrendered. Did you get a sponsor? Yeah, the first actually when I first came in the rooms, you know, I it was actually kind of confusing because I I knew of AA, but I didn't. So I would go online looking for the beginners course. I'm like, okay, where do I start the course? It's like, is this a six week? Is it an eight week? Yeah. And I figured it would just help me control better, you know, my substance intake. I didn't necessarily want abstinence by any means um, because, and I remember the, the thought of like, gosh, I, I can never do anything ever again. And it was sort of like asking for a pony for Christmas and you really wanted that pony and you got a sweater that grandma made, you know, and you open the box, it's like, there's no pony. It's just like this, this ugly sweater that grandma made. And, and I just remember being just so like, I felt like such a failure. I felt like such a failure. And I thought, and I really remember telling myself, it's like, why bother? Just like, God, I just, the future seems so bleak, not being able to do any substances. Yep. And, you know, it's the I, long gray day I, we were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. And it's, it's, it could be anything, but I have come to love this program. And I love the life I get to have and the light that has entered into my life and wow. the hope and the optimism and the solution. Um, that I get to have as a result of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, which is so different than what my experience was in the beginning. And it, but I just, I knew I had to be here, and I just kept, I just kept coming back because I knew the other way wasn't working for me. What's an example of a time when you were coming in and it was like uh, it's going to be one long gray day, and something happened where you saw light? You're talking about light coming in. I mean, that's beautiful. And it's true. That's true. Really what happens. And y'all should see Andrew's face, how it just lit up whenever what it is he's about to tell us came to mind. I'm looking forward to this. Well, it's, you know, we, uh, I'm in San Francisco and we have part of sobriety and stuff that we, uh, and they're fundraisers. It's, uh, we have drag shows, Mm. you know, and it's, it's usually anybody can do a drag performance. And it was at the Everett Middle School. So it's a school auditorium, a middle school auditorium. And uh, I had gone there and, you know, I remember just sitting there and everybody's laughing. And I, it struck me. I looked around and thought, man, like everybody in this room is sober. We're actually having fun sober. I mean, it's possible to have fun sober. And it was, it was like amazing. It was like this idea that I didn't ever think that one could actually have a good time being sober. And mm-hmm. everyone was laughing and it was just a hoot and a holler and it was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I love You gave me chills recounting that. Yeah. My voice that gave you the chills. <laughs> well, yeah, but we know that. My clothes are going to fall off any second. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Poor Don. <laughs> Don's just getting, he's getting adjusting himself in his chair there. <laughs> Okay, let's try and pull ourselves together here. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, laughter was attractive. What about the steps? Um, I think certainly step one, you know, and 
and it is, I think that it, it is really the only step you have to do perfectly, as I've been told, and I truly believe it's coming to a place where I, I realized that I was powerless. I, I, I could no longer control my substance intake because there was a period of my life where I could, you know, I could regulate it. Mm -hmm. I could, I could go for periods in the summer. I would I usually take a month off, you know, to kind of recalibrate and, and in my mind, I always knew that I could. And then it came a point. It's like, well, um, there's no reason to. And when I tried and was unable to, it's like, wow, I, 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 there's this thing that has a power over me, you know, and I, and I, everything I would try, you know, to not, you know, use anything. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, the more I tried, the worse it got, which was really very counterintuitive because I, the way I was raised, I'm from the Midwest. I was born and raised in Chicago. Um, and it's the whole idea of the work ethic. You know, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you work hard and you do it yourself. And, um, and so this is one of those things that the, the more I tried to control my alcoholism, the more it slipped through my fingers. Yeah. But all the steps I think were great. I, I, my sponsor, the one I had this time around, I had him for my first six years and he was great. He was exactly what I needed. It was, he was very, he was like a meeting a day, a phone call a day, you know, and I, Oh God, I'm really busy. I'm meeting a day. I mean, how am I going to do this? And he's like, you want to work with me? It's a meeting a day and a phone call a day. And we met every week and we did step work and we did, we read something and I'd have to read it every day for seven days till I saw him again. There's a lot of just boom, 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 really solid. And that's ultimately kind of the sponsor I am now. It's like I sponsored the way I was sponsored, but there are these moments of, I mean, all of them I think are really powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, I think certainly walking through four and five, you know, and having to share with somebody else things that I was so profoundly ashamed of. But four and five is taking an inventory and share of your character defects and then sharing that with yeah. another person. Yeah. And I also find, you know, having to make my amends. That was, you know, one of my amends was to a professor in grad school. And, you know, I would walk by, you know, his, uh, his office and the, uh, It'd be like, oh, thank God he's not there. Oh, thank God he's not there. And, oh. And then, <laughs> oh, I'm off the hook. <laughs> you're right. And one day I walk by and his door was open. I go, and I walk into the bathroom. I'm like, you got to do this, Andrew. You got to do this. And I'm just like, okay, big breaths, big breaths, big breaths. And I go in there and knock and start told him. And, and he didn't remember, you know, the thing that I had talked about. He's like, yeah, I don't quite remember that. In that, that, that is something that I've heard other people talk about as well, uh, is, is the things that I've been holding on to, um, they weren't even aware of, but it had a significant impact on my sanity, my serenity, sure. my sense of, of being able to engage with people in the world, because, you know, particularly that person, I would be avoiding them. Uh, well, that's like that. living in shame. Yeah. It's like that voice telling me that I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And everywhere I go, it's like, oh, there it is. Like there was a bookstore that I borrowed a book from. Borrowed. <laughs> <laughs> I we, stole we borrow from libraries, Don. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't bookstores. a library. <laughs> it was a bookstore. And guy gave it to me and said, Well, bring you can uh take it home, check it out, and you can bring it back or you can pay for it, bring it back and pay for it. And I never did. And so oh, well, he should have known that you were like shady as fuck and not even doing done that. It's his fault. What was he doing? Trusting me. Go get that amends back, Don. <laughs> it was his fault. Definitely. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, right. So that's what I'd say, but feel 
ashamed of it every time I walked by that bookstore. And in fact, I even got to where I would walk on the other side of the street if I had to walk down that street. <laughs> now, this is like really way in the background. And, I, you know, it's just a bookstore. And that didn't happen all the time. But every single time I walked down that street, it was right back there. It's like, you stole that book, mm -hmm. too. But the bookstore was actually closed up. That bookstore closed up, went out of business, and for seven years was out of business. Yet all the books were in there. It was a used bookstore. All the book, they still kept all the books in there. Whoever it was owned the property. And when I got sober, I'd reached the uh, eighth step, and it was time for me to make amends. That store opened up. <laughs> I walked by and they were open and I went in and said, I owe you some money. And I gave the guy money and the, and the guy was, he said, you don't need to pay me that money. And I was, yes, I do. <laughs> I need to be done with this. But as soon as I walked out, I think it was like $25 was how much the book was. I gave him $25 when I walked out and I said, maybe it was $20. I wonder if I should. I think it was $20. I talked to my sponsor. He said, you should have given him $35 for interest. It's true. You know, I recently uh, had a, a friend tell me that they had finished a uh, financial amends and they finished it early. And when that last payment uh, went through, um, the sense of relief that they had was just incredible. And it, and it is, it is amazing you know, I love this story that I heard, you know, we're walking through the, through life with our hand on a hot stove and everybody else has their hand on the hot stove. And then you take your hand off the stove. You don't realize it's there, but you take your hand off the stove and it's like, oh my God, what a sense of relief. And then, you know, the rest of that goes on with everybody's like, what's wrong with you? Put your hand back on the stove. No, but that sense of relief, I mean, we can get used to pain. Um, alcoholics and addicts, we're tough fuckers. I mean, we are just like, we can take it. And the thing is, when we finally do clean up, that sense of relief that kicked in for me was just absolutely incredible. And I've told people over the years now that, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous or, or recovery has totally turned me into a wuss. And I say that because I can't take that pain anymore. Yeah, I don't, don't want enjoy that. It I, 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 it, it's something that I am not willing to deal with because it sucks. What so that when pain I is anxiety. Up, yeah, that feeling of anxiety, that feeling of conflict with people, and the feeling of being judged and someone else judging me. I just don't like any of that stuff anymore. No. So, Andrew, you said uh, that you'd take your sponsees through uh, the steps, much like uh, you were taken through the steps that, uh, with that first sponsor of six years. That's um, correct. So, uh, well, how many people are you sponsoring? Let's start with I have that. three sponsees. What uh, are, are they? Uh, newcomers, old-timers in between? Um, my, actually, the first sponsee I've ever had, I still have him. Uh, he's got eight years uh, another sponsor, he's got four. Another one's got three. Fantastic. And I've, I've been with all of them from the beginning. So how do you sponsor? What's your procedure? Well, in the beginning, they have to do a meeting a day and a phone call a day. You know? Sounds like a lot, but... 
<laughs> I sure did uh, spend more time than that on drinking. Than I, truly. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Truly. Oh, you, did you drink every day? Yeah. Like, <laughs> hold on. Like, did you not go to the liquor store when it was cold out? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, we go through the steps, you know, and it's the same thing. It's like when we read together, we get together every week. And I still do that. We still get together every week. And uh, um, some of them, they still call me every day. The one who's got eight, uh, we just check in. But I, we get in, I, I meet my sponsors every week. I think it's really important. It's uh, really the beginning to create rapport. Um, the phone call a day certainly gets them in the habit of being able to pick the phone up. So it's not sort of like this big monster. Um, and it keeps me in tune with what's going, what's going on with them. At this point now, like when they do their 10 step, you know, nightly inventory, they got to send that to me as well. And, uh, some people I know do like all 12 steps in like three days with a sponsee. It took me six years to go through my steps. And so I do the slow, it's like, let's really do this in depth. There's a lot of work. We don't just read and move on. There's a lot of writing involved. Um, so I just take them through and sometimes they repeat. It's like, okay, my first sponsor is like, all right, yeah, you need to do one, two, and three all over again because you're not ready to go on to four yet. And they, mm -hmm. they moan. Of course, they bitch and moan. You're the meanest sponsor ever. But afterwards, they go, ah, you know, I needed to. He made me. I hated it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, this, this, is, this is what you got to do, man. You know, it's like, most sponsors will say, you know, are you willing to, like, when they're really in pain, they're really just, uh, you know, willing to do anything. Like, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Yes. Well, I will remind you of this, you know, when you're not in so much pain, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden you want to negotiate or you don't want to do those things that have kept you sober. It's like, come on now. Yeah. You know, I, uh, my first sponsor, her wife was uh, in, in the house at one point and also, also sober uh, while we were starting to work together. And, and we, we were all talking about willingness and, you know, are you willing to go to any lengths to, to get and stay sober? Uh, and I said, no, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to kill somebody to stay sober. You know, Sam, you have to drink this or you, or, or I'm going to kill this person. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do that. Would you and gargle so peanut butter? <laughs> <laughs> Push a grape uphill with your nose. Um, that was one of the things that, that she said. <laughs> um, but, um, but then she broke through with just that simple question of, are you willing to do what you did to get drunk? Are you willing to go to the lengths that you went to to get drunk and high in order to stay sober? And so, yeah, I was willing to do that. What about getting a sponsor? How do you, how do you determine how to get a sponsor if you're new? Parts of the country do it a little bit different. Like we have, we call them newcomer liaisons, you know, which we announce ourselves. And even now in the online, it's uh, from one of my meetings, I'm a newcomer, you know, and sort of we say, hey, if you're a newcomer, you have questions on program sponsorship and the in-person was a lot easier because you say you need a sponsor. Hey, you know, either use our phone list with somebody by trying to introduce them to somebody. It's like here, you know, he's a good sponsor. Talk to this person here um, and try and connect them. You know, the sponsor I had this, the, my first sponsor this time around a friend of mine with whom I used to get, you know, I used to party a lot and, and he got him sober. So I thought, you know, he's like, you should really work with him. It's funny though, because that sponsor, Steve, he was like, he's like really boom, 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 boom. He's just like, just because, you know, in fact, it's, I didn't think you're going to make it anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now see, isn't that like the truth? Vote we cannot comments. pick, or at least my picker is complete. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot predict who's going to get this. 
You know, there, there are people that have come into these rooms that I'm like, oh my God, there is no way. That, and and they're, they stay sober. And then the one who is just like seemingly just like voracious um, is it winds up going, it's, it's unpredictable as fuck yeah. as to who's going to get this. Now, I think, it, I think it's realistic to say that if you, uh, you know, go to meetings, um, work a, uh, the program with a sponsor, uh, that you're probably, your chances are probably a hell of a lot better than if you don't do those things. Sure. Um, but knowing who's going to stay sober is uh, my, I can't I, tell. I cannot predict that. Andrew, how did you get your current sponsor? So the one I've now used, this time around, you know, it's almost 11 years. Uh, this is my second sponsor. I got him around year six. And he's just someone I knew in program. Cooper's got, next month he'll have 35, you know, years. And, but for someone who had that much time, and he did a ton of service. And I thought, I respect that. Because I see guys who got, you know, shit ton of, of years under their belt, but they don't do anything. They don't, they don't participate. Mm-hmm. And he, he, was, he was walking the walk. And I thought, I respect that because... He'd do anything, you know. It's not just like I will just only be secretary. I'll only just. It's like it's like okay, I'll set chairs up. It's like okay, I'll do that. And that's that. And I respected that. It's like he was he was willing to do what he needed to do and service. You know, you give back, and that's what you do. Oh, that's great. I appreciate you joining us today. Don't go anywhere. We're not finished with you. Oh, oh, watch your head. Duck. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? <laughs> you. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Sonny. God, so violent aggressive just today (laughs) (laughs) you can post a question at boiledowlaa.org we have a question this is from lucy in richmond virginia lucy thanks for writing lucy says hi great podcast see she's already winning with me uh Hi, great podcast. So thank you very much for putting it together. My name is Lucy and I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I'm on week three of another try at abstaining from alcohol. Mm. While I know I have to need to quit drinking, I don't want to. I've had small bouts of sobriety, eight months here, six months there, etc. I've learned the steps may be my only chance to achieve long-term sobriety. So here's the question. Is it acceptable to request a person to sponsor me and take me through the steps if I cannot honestly say I will go to any lengths to be sober? I don't want to waste someone's time if my head and my heart are not in sync. Lucy, thank you so much for that question. Yeah. And, uh, and I just want y'all to know, too, that we didn't leave Lucy hanging because, you know, we record our episodes a little bit in advance, sometimes you know, three, four, five episodes in advance. So I uh, went on and, uh, and responded to Lucy when she sent that. So back um, when but she sent the letter. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, so, uh, and, and y'all with, we, we just talked a little bit about honesty and I wasn't even um, thinking about, I hadn't even read this question today. Is it acceptable to request a person to sponsor me and take me through the steps? If I cannot honestly say I will go to any lengths to be sober. Yes. That's what a sponsor is for. 
It's the, the spot, my sponsor was to help me figure out what's going on with me, what's going on with the program, how I relate to it, how, what you, who I listen to in the program. I mean, I remember talking, I had someone that I was going to a discussion meeting regularly and he went to as well. And uh, I was saying, God, that, what that guy was saying just sounded crazy to me. And he said, listen, some are sicker than others. We got a lot of people coming to these meetings. You don't need to listen to what he's advising. <laughs> and I, but I need it because the, the guy wasn't talking about AA. He wasn't talking AA program. I didn't know. I thought everybody in the meeting was who I needed to listen to. I didn't know the depths of my alcoholism. I didn't, it was working with a sponsor that helped me realize deeper and deeper and deeper how truly I am an alcoholic. And I would say, you know, step one admitted I'm powerless over alcohol in my life had become unmanageable. The depth of that step grew for me over a couple of years, even though I went all the way through the steps, still there were places where I could see uh, the longer that I was in the program and going to meetings and hearing people tell stories. I go, oh, you know, I was powerless over alcohol. You know, I wonder if the fact that when I was snorting soap <laughs> at the laundromat with my grandmother, and I was like nine years old. And she came over and said, what are you doing? And I was over there where you put quarters into the, or dimes, I guess, at the time. This is a long time ago. Into the machine, a little box of soap comes down. And the, so soap had gathered in the, at the edge, at a ridge there. And I was pinching it and snorting it. <laughs> it would pull. Whoa, that would wake you up. What the hell's a nine-year-old dude? I ask, why was I doing it? I don't know. Because it had an effect and it changed me, it changed the way I felt. That's uh, this explains so much. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But I tell you what, when I came into AA, I'd say, you know, this they're one of brainwash me. My brain needed washing and that's proof from the age nine. I was trying to wash it with Tide. <laughs> but that's, a sponsor will help you see if you're an alcoholic. The fact that you have written, the fact that you're, you want to get a sponsor, but you're, you know, you don't want to burden them if you're not really an alcoholic. All these things kind of tell me that you may be an alcoholic and it's going to work out just fine if you get a sponsor because people who drink and don't have a problem with it, if they don't want to drink, then they don't drink. It's no issue for them to drink or not drink. And the very fact that you've identified that there's a problem somewhere says that there's a problem because my wife drinks and she'll drink one half of a beer and never think about to finish it. Blasphemy. She won't finish half a beer. What is the matter with her? The, what's the matter with her is that she's not an alcoholic. I think you broke her. <laughs> I'll fix her. But, <laughs> 
<laughs> but I won't be able to fix that. And it doesn't need fixing because people that are not alcoholics, they never think that they might have a problem with it. So I like the fact that you're asking the question. I like the fact that you're worrying about getting a sponsor. So just get one and it, and it's not a big deal. Just go ahead and ask someone. What about you, Andrew? I agree. It's when I came into the rooms, I didn't, I didn't understand what program was about. You know, I didn't really have an understanding of sobriety. And I think it's the idea. It's, I'm not going to say necessarily meet someone where they're at per se, but understanding that whatever it takes to get someone sober, sort of like, no, we can be saying program, let us love you until you can love yourself. And I think there is that component of and my, my approach is certainly I, I try to be a bit more gentle in some respects, even though my approach is, as a sponsor is very, this is how we do it, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a mean guy in my process, but, and I, and I love my sponsees, you know, every single one of them, but it's also showing up in a way that's got some love and heart. And I think for a lot of us, when we come to the rooms, it's to, to be seen, to be heard. And, and like, wow, you actually care about me. Like someone actually cares about me. So yeah, it's just, it's like, find someone just like, because you never know like in the process. I, I didn't embrace program when I first came in the rooms and, you know, it took me a process and every relapse, you know, I just kind of dusted myself off and got back on the horse, but each one sort of certain my ego, you know, it knocked me down a couple notches such that this time I was willing to push that peanut across the floor with my nose or that grape up the hill. And there was a time I was like, what the, what the fuck does that do with recovery? I'm not going to do that. Like, Hey, you know, <laughs> If me pushing a peanut across the room of a, in front of a bunch of people, if that's going to keep me sober, and it's the only thing that will keep me sober, I will do it. But I wasn't that way in the beginning. And I, my initial sponsor, um, he was more kind and gentle. I guess. And not kind and gentle, you just looser, you, you know. But that wouldn't have worked for me. I wouldn't have done well with Steve when I first came in the rooms, which was he was much more regimented. Thanks, Andrew. I, I love that we've talked about the relapses that Lucy mentions as well, because, um, you know, I, I, first of all, the, the thing that I heard when I started over from a guest that we've had on the show, Scott, was that, you know, we've all relapsed, every single one of us, some of us before we came in the rooms and some of us after, but we've all done it. Uh, and you know, that, that's my experience as well. I relapsed. Uh, I came to the rooms in 2002 and, uh, and I picked up start chip and start over chip and start over chip and start over chip and got a little, little bit of time and a start over chip. And, and then I got a nice long period of sobriety. And then in 2012, I reset my sobriety date because of diet pills and poppers and it totally sucked, but it was what I needed to do. So relapse does not have to be a part of your story once you get into these rooms, but for some of us it is, and that's okay. Tradition three of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, states the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Well, when that tradition was originally written, there was another word in there that uh, they later determined was really not workable for alcoholics coming into these rooms. And that word was honest. It used to read the only requirement for AA membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. Now, my mind changed by the moment about this drinking thing 
when I was first coming into AA. I, I couldn't be honest with me. I, I, you know, I couldn't be honest with you. I was cash register honest, but like being able to own who I am and where I am and, and what my thinking is and, and how fucked up it is. No. So an honest desire to stop drinking. No, I totally did not have that. I just knew that what I was doing wasn't working. And it took me eight months to ask someone to be my sponsor. And he said, no. And he's been on this podcast and I've said that many times and I gave him shit during that episode too. Um, but no, I mean, but he said no, cause he was full up and he offered me the name of one of his sponsees and I couldn't ask because I had like, it took everything I had to ask the, the first guy. Um, and then I was talking with friends that I had made in these rooms and by hanging out with them after meetings and things like that. And I regaled them with what had happened that Saturday morning at the men's meeting and Tiffany sitting beside me said, well, I'll be your temporary sponsor. And Tiffany was my temporary sponsor for four years. So actually she was my sponsor. However, all sponsorship is temporary. <laughs> it's it's going to end somehow. I mean, somebody's going to yeah. die. Uh, but let's um, not go there. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we left the last show, I think. Uh, but anyway, um, so, you know, ask. And there's all kinds of recommendations that, uh, you know, one of the things I've done ever since I, I started over, I seek out someone who, who I respect, who's, who's working a program, who, who I admire. And then I ask them, who do you think I should ask to sponsor me? Because that takes my picker out of it. It puts me trusting someone else. Quite frankly, trusting higher power through someone else. Mm -hmm. um, so, is it acceptable to request a person to sponsor me and take me through the steps if I cannot honestly say I will go to any lengths to be sober? Absolutely. 100%. It's where pretty much all of us are when we first come in and do this. I hope that helps, Lucy. Thanks so much for writing. Yeah, a uh, sponsor is really just a guide. And, and I think at the very beginning in the 40s when AA started, they would assign somebody to help your new man, as they called it back then, understand the program and take them to a meeting so that they would understand what's going on in the meeting. So it's, it's like at the beginning, I think you got somebody as a guide even before you went to the meeting. You needed to do that, be vetted before you could go to meetings. Now we do it the other way around. Yeah. I can and there's honor. a lot of information, you know, temporary sponsors. And, and I've, I, I don't know if that's something here on the West Coast or not. I haven't heard uh, uh, some of our West Coast guests mention, mention that term, temporary sponsor. Um, yeah, we but do we? Yes, okay. we do, yeah. Okay. Uh, my understanding when I first came in about temporary sponsorship was that it's not necessarily even someone who's going to take me through the steps. It's, um, it's that guide to help me find my way around AA within my, my city or whatnot. You know, what's an open meeting? Mm -hmm. What's a closed meeting? What, yeah. What's a good meeting to go to? A lot of questions can be answered that aren't even related to the steps. Yeah, and aren't appropriate to share in a meeting, but you need to talk to somebody about it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Andrew, thanks for coming today. Thank you so much, Andrew. I really Thank appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me, guys. It's a pleasure. Watch out. Here comes that pesky owl. <laughs> Woo! <laughs>
(laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Oh, it sounds like the owl's on Xanax. Oh. Ooh, I see a kitty tail right behind you. There are live animals there. There are. <laughs> That's one thing I love about Zoom is like looking at a cat's butt. <laughs> you don't see that every day, but every day you see it on Zoom. It's true. Don, I don't think I've seen you doing any uh, sketches of cat butts. You know, maybe that could be a series <laughs> for you to do. Yeah. Zoom, and call it Zoom Cat Butts. Zoom Cat Butts. <laughs> it's a fact.